Dirty dog, dirty dog. I got, you know, we've been thinking, we've been talking for possible ideas, you know, for for things to, to freshen up everything and, and new, you know, new stuff. And I got a cool, cool, cool new song background that we could do for our opening. Okay. All right, just give uh, me a listen. I, I really love the theme song that we have currently, but what are you thinking? Uh, well, I got a I got a good possible beat for it, so just just listen to it. Yeah. What do you think? What is that? You know, it's it's some good some good kind of rap style music. What do you think about rap, man? There's only one thing that I hate that is worse than crap. I hate rap. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest on World Championship Wrestling. It is set for one fall. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, event status radio. They're recording again, aha. Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Live from the offices of YouTube. And recorded live from the letters V through Z. This is the fabulous Freebird edition of Innovative Status <laughs> Radio for reasons I don't know. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy, joined as usual, representing the letters 90210 is Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. Be- Mr. Beverly! What's that happening? Not much, man. I'm I'm representing the area that we're talking mostly, which would be the late '80s, late '90s, with my Zubas on. You like them? They look absolutely <laughs> sexy on you. And now that is real. Like those of you over the over the sound wave, sometimes I maybe would would just goof on you when I'm wearing legit blue and white Zubas on today. You know, I was sitting. Paul Orndorff's WCW theme song off and before we started recording a little bit here on air I had to admit Mr. Beverly Hills you look like you're Mr. Wonderful in those Zubaz pants thanks dude thanks dude there's no chance that I look as good as one of the competitors in our first match though <laughs> so but before we jump into that this is our part 5 of this series our final edition of YouTube A through Z Mr. Beverly Hills yes Sir, yep, we're in it. The last bit. I am kind of sad that we're ending it, but I'm kind of happy that we're ending it. Yeah, because I mean, like, let's be honest. Outside of today, like, I don't think we've maybe a couple times we haven't really gotten any matches that you would say like main event quality. And that's the thing with like doing pay per views or doing, you know, even shows is you're gonna probably get uh, at least some things that. Of the main event quality, and we really haven't been seeing that. We've been seeing a lot of kind of opening stuff and things of that nature. But like you said, weeks on end for the series, uh, 
with if we didn't do this series, we probably wouldn't cover half this stuff, three quarters of this stuff, probably more than that. Oh, yeah. But it's been fun talking about guys that we may not, most likely not get uh, touch upon ever in, ever in this podcast history. Right on. For some of those, that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> so we might as well get into it. Our first yeah, letter for part five of, is the letter V, as in Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah. Yep. What is your first thoughts on the Hammer? You know, uh, he was one of those guys that, for a really, really long time, I and probably still, I haven't gotten the the best of him. You know, when I started wrestling, started not started wrestling, started <laughs> watching wrestling, it was the time where he was just kind of coming off of his rhythm and blues um, run. And so there was, you know, the short kind of face run after that. There, I saw him in WCW, and you know, just not good, right? Just kind of an older, older guy, and and not not so good. But, but just now, I'm starting to see why. Well, I mean, why he had a job for you know up until 1997, 1998, right? Like, yeah. there's a reason for that. It's really the kind of stuff from. The early to mid '80s. So well, yeah, because same with you that I started to watch wrestling probably within a few years after you did. I huh. stuff that I can remember, and I was at the tail end of his career. I never really went back and watched his older stuff. And I guess my first thoughts, besides like what you said, is the rhythm and blues, awesome <laughs> song that him and Hockey had. The Hockey, 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 love. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that theme song so much when we lived together and all that, but <laughs> I guess, like you said, that with the match that we watched today, I realized why he was, at least if not, the mid-card champion in WWF in the 80s. Sure. Yeah, right. So we might as well talk about the promo that we got today. That, yeah. Uh, this was when uh, Greg was Intercontinental Champion. Right on. And he was wearing a black and silver robe that to me looked a lot like a, a cheaper edition of one of Ric Flair's robes. Well, I don't know if it looks cheap. I mean, that was one of the things I was going to say is one thing I do always remember is that he always had tremendous robes. Yeah, well, I uh, guess always, I should, always really good looking robes. Cheaper, I mean, he didn't spend, also it was completely different from Flair's robes. But cheaper, By cheaper, you mean he's not Ric Flair. He is exactly what you he mean. He didn't spend as much money on his robes as Ric Flair did. You were there? Yeah. It, it was a benefit of the doubt, Mr. Beverly I'm Hills. I'm sure it was made by the same person. I'm sure it was made by, like, God, whoever's wife. I'm Because sh- they were in Mid-Atlantic. No, they were, made in, <laughs> they were in Mid-Atlantic, like, at the same time. I'm sure it was made by the same person. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Beverly Hills. I, very well, well, I think it looks cheaper. What? I'm trying to... It, connect with my inner Larry Zabisco. <laughs> Whatever. So, Greg, I, I guess a few big points I got out of Greg's promo was he he represents everything what rock and roll represents. It's all about rock and roll. Yeah, that's, that's the big, like, uh, the deal, the, the big kind of point of it is he's all about rock and roll. <laughs> and well, I, there's one line I don't... Didn't, have it written down, but something along the lines of that 
Greg, Jimmy, and me and Gene, who was interviewing Yeah, you them. should say Jimmy Hart is there. Yeah, Jimmy Hart is there as well. And, uh, yeah, those three were talking. Me and Gene was interviewing them. And it got on a topic of me and Gene mentioned to Greg Valentine, why did they stick me and Gene with uh, Bill when they, those three went out to eat? And me and made me laugh at how Valentine said, well, you're the world-class announcer. You should get paid big bucks, shouldn't you? Well, and he, and he was just saying that, like, a a good person, that you shouldn't have to ask him to pick up the bill. They just do it. So he was just assuming that since me and Gene was a good person, he would just take the bill. <laughs> that, that, that line, too, also made me laugh out, out of the promo. And, like, oh, I, I w- never knew Greg Valentine had that kind of side in him. Yeah, and you could, I don't know, you could see that, like, they're definitely just, like, riffing off of each other, which is funny. You know, you just have kind of Mean Gene trying to set him up and and Valentine taking the, the punchlines, like, when, you know, Gene he randomly is like, my friend Liberace wants to know about your robes, <laughs> and, and that's when Greg talks about the robes, you know, five to $10,000. Um, yeah, and he talks about rock and roll. He says he he listens to to Steppenwolf, and I think <laughs> I think Gina's really kind of like taken aback of that. He's like, "Oh, I didn't know what to do." But he's like, "Do you listen to Cindy Lauper?" Since obviously 1985, she's heavily involved in the WWF, and he says, "No, oh, don't." Uh, and he says he's always been a rebel, and that's what rock and roll is all about. <laughs> Which made me laugh. So, the match that we got was, I admit, to start out, that was a better match than I expected. It was Greg Valentine defending his Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat from Madison Square Garden, June 21st, 1985. Yep. And because you kind of tease it a little bit, Mr. Beverly Hills, I have to open up. My main event status meal yellow for this match. For sure, for sure. And our announcers for this match is Mean Gene Okerlund and Gorilla Monsoon. Mm-hmm. And I am surprised that, that I enjoyed these two for this match because they weren't very they weren't very outrageous or anything. Right, there was a very like conversational tone. Yeah, which, Not- not uh yeah which i i enjoyed for this match yeah it it worked it worked for what it was yeah then for this match the intercontinental title was uh i think the ugly intercontinental title on the green strap yeah i don't know if i ever all right i know i have but yeah this bright neon green strap it was pretty interesting i'm happy they got rid of it shortly after wwf started to go (laughs) national Sure, <laughs> sure. Then Rick, uh, Ricky's in like this full ninja garb, black all the way down to his feet. He's got a black ninja robe on. He's got his headband on, which I very enjoy because I wear a headband for work every day of the week. And it may touch my heart to see Ricky the Dragon. Yeah, I do. Yeah, what well, because of sweat and all that? <laughs> keep it away from my eyes. You should, you should wear my young hot stud. Uh, headband. Uh, do you have it? I think I think it's still my dad's house. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what? Yeah. You know, another thing. While you t- were talking about what 
Ricky DeDrago was wearing. I I don't know if it was just a Madison Square Garden thing, but like when the announcers were being introduced, the bell kept on reading a few times. I think just to let like also let the fans know that the match is about to start. Yeah. Okay. I, was, I felt, felt no. Like, sorry, I stuck my tongue because I cracked my toe. Oh, I'm now sorry. You were because no, that's because I thought you were doing anything weird. Don't, but don't well, I, at least I felt like that was an interesting <laughs> touch to this Madison Square Garden show. Okay, sure. I, I took zero out. And um, um, I, I am surprised that Gene and Gorilla kind of mentioned about uh, Greg. I think he's either Greg or Johnny Valentine was in a plane crash a few like about ten years before. Johnny Valentine was he was paralyzed in it. It's the same. I'm surprised you don't know about this. It was it's the, the same, same one that Ric Flair was on. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I just wanted to verify about that, but because yeah, it was uh, G, well, not Gina, um, Greg Valentine on that one too. No, no, no. Okay, because Johnny Valentine storyline wise is related to Greg. I think it's his actual dad, but okay. I could be wrong. Okay. Well, I just wanted to to try to yeah draw the draw the connections and all that. I'm almost I'm almost positive of that. Okay. Then I'll kick yeah. It, kick and it now the... and now Valentine is wearing a very good looking robe, even though it's obviously cheaper than Ric Flair's. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I I love it looks oh, I love the black and red. I love that it's got like the the hearts on it and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yep, it is his real dad, by the way. Okay, cool. Huh? He was apparently initially he was apparently initially uh, reluctant to take his father's ring name. His real name is something Wisniewski. So he he wrestled as Babyface Nelson before becoming Johnny Fargo. Uh, and then in Florida, he began performing as Johnny Valentine Jr. And then Greg the Hammer Valentine. Apparently, at, very, at first, he was billed as Johnny Valentine's brother, not his son, because of fears that the elder Valentine would be thought of as too old to be a legitimate threat. Like, if he had a kid that was old enough to wrestle. Interesting. Fair, fair enough. Well, I guess I thought Valentine's about... name is Jonathan Wisniewski. Hmm. Wisniewski. Thought... Sorry, Wisniewski. Yes, I thought I heard a story something like that between Greg and Johnny. So just couldn't. That's remember. interesting. Yeah. I th- I think that gosh, that's so just like it. It isn't that. Isn't that just so pro wrestling? Mm-hmm. That that like no, I can't say that he's my son because they'll think I'm too old. Yeah, well, that's to me that reminds me a lot of you know current day Vince McMahon that he hates. I've been hearing that he hates how WrestleMania. You know, he hates numbering WrestleMania after thirty because he feel like that looks makes WrestleMania look too old, and he hates calling, calling WrestleMania the granddaddy of them all and. His Where did you hear junior, this? Junior, senior. I heard this on the internet. Whatever. The internet, quote unquote. Yes. Where we're on the internet. We are. Wow. No, where? Where oh. on the um, internet? I. This is why I hate listening to too many podcasts because I can't oh, exactly okay, pull it all from. Which Zach one I heard this from. <laughs> 
All right, fair enough. Fair My enough. apologies, and I don't want that's start... crazy if true. Yeah, I don't want to magically name this one or that one because I don't want to hearsay or anything. But yeah, that's crazy talk. I I think that's just silly. Yeah. <laughs> Say the granddaddy of them all, but, but all this, all the the stories. Here, that wouldn't be the craziest one of Vince McMahon. And so. we also know that Vince goes into different phases, though, too, with different things in professional wrestling. So I wouldn't be surprised that this is just a phase, not numbering WrestleManias for a few years. Yeah, yeah, we'll and see. We kind of talked about it a little bit before, too, between Gorilla and Gene for this match, but is it me or did Gorilla seem, sound super tired for the match? No? I don't know. Okay, just... Just me, but... I was busy watching the match. Well, I'm sorry. I was busy listening to the match. Go right on. Right, right on. Nobby Manu. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think about... Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, Steamboat's... Uh, Steamboat's condition in this match. Holy crap. Per- pretty good, yeah. That <laughs> was jacked, man. Well, in ways, I'm not surprised with how... With the time frame in professional wrestling that we're, that we're watching from the mid '80s, but I guess I never really put two and two together with Ricky Steamboat being that jacked. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest I've ever seen him. He was always pretty cut, but I think this is the biggest I've ever seen him. Do you think it's partially because him he was up in New York? I don't know, but he's he was looking wow, he's looking huge. Uh, one thing I I guess I appreciate about this match in the show is how vocal Jimmy Hart was and how loud he seemed to be ringside with his megaphone. Yeah, I feel like that's a personal opinion because I hated it. I hated it so much. If I heard him say no more karate one more time, <laughs> I think I was going to jump out my window. Fair enough. I guess no I... No more karate! Bruce Lee! <laughs> I li- that's all he said. He repeated two things over and over. I liked it because... To me, it felt something different, and the other matches I've Dip, watched... By the end of the match, you heard no more karate 30 times. Uh, one, I didn't count, and two, I'm so used to watching matches where Jimmy Hurt's a manager, and you really don't hear him that much. So I felt like it was something something different, but I'm sure it's just, like I said, personal, personal preference, and I'm sure the ring side area was more mic just to hear Jimmy Hart yell a little bit more. Probably, yeah, so... Okay, so they start out and uh, they start with some mat work that I thought looked looked pretty good. And uh, Ricky chased chase Valentine to the floor, and that was here's when I found my first instance of Jimmy saying no more karate, which I thought <laughs> at that point was funny. Um, Ricky hit a couple good looking uh, snap mares, and I just at just right away early in the match noticed that that these two are just doing everything so crisply. You know, they're they're working arm ringers and they look devastating. The the way they're snapping off their punches, the way they're hitting these chops just looked so good. Is it because Greg Valentine's work with Bruce Bruce Lee and his karate? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> like No I know I know what you mean though, because I did I do enjoy seeing matches like this where two competitors can make something simple look so devastating, look so, be executed so greatly. Right on. 
Yeah, that's and I just saw that through through really the whole match. Um, the <laughs> Gene's Gene is talking about Steve and He's talking about his his style, and he says it's a mixture of karate, jujitsu, and the kitchen sink. And then Gorilla adds with the quickness of a mongoose. Tell tell me more about a mongoose because I don't know much about it. Well, you know what? Gorilla talked about it. So if you were listening, you, if you were paying as close attention as he was, as you were saying before, he talked about it. He said they're the one of the quickest animals, one of the fastest animals, and that Ricky reminded him of one because he runs around and he strikes quickly. I'm happy you took note of that, Mr. Beverly Hills. I did. I just remembered it. <laughs> but I don't. I, I took down one of the lines that Gene said about uh, Jimmy Hart, which made me laugh, especially with you not liking hearing Jimmy be as vocal as, as he was in this match. Gene uh, mentioned that when the referee starts listening to Jimmy Hart, he has a problem. <laughs> I guess I enjoy that because it. I know we've talked about this before, but it, to me, I feel like Gene puts over pretty decently on on how a manager shouldn't listen to a heel, or yeah, a referee shouldn't listen to a heel manager. Sure. Because they speak nothing but nonsense. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I would agree with you. You don't want to listen to them. <laughs> Especially when Jimmy Hart's mouth moves as quick as a mongoose. Yeah. Right. Sure. So. Um, I, I love Valentine, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that whatever the comparisons that can be drawn and they, it can, they can be even more drawn earlier in their careers, but Valentine and Flair, and I think Va- Valentine's version of the, I guess it would be Flair flop is way better. He looks like, literally looks like a tree that's been cut down. It just falls down all stiff and all that. Yeah, we got a couple of those, and I just freaking love that so much. Um, Well, you compared it to Ric Flair's flare flop. What about the Ric Flair's version don't you like? Oh, it's not that I don't like it. I just love Valentine's. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> they're they're similar. I just love Valentine's. Yeah, I guess the way his flares seem a little bit more exaggerated, more showboy than Steamboat or than uh, Valentine's. Yeah, I don't know. So the transition. So this was all like the beginning is all kind of like Steamboat in control mostly. The transition here is a missed splash that uh, Valentine gets his knees up on and. You know, as he's in control, this is where I again just noticed that his fundamentals look so good. He's he's kicking Steamboat in the gut, and it and it looks just so good. And Steamboat's selling it perfectly. You know, he hits a gut buster. Um, you know, and and uh, that this this whole control section was so good because he's getting Ricky down, and he's uh, um, you know getting two counts and. Steamboat's doing what he can to get out. He even fires up the crowd by getting a slam at one point. But, um, you know, he's still Valentine is in control. Uh, so for, for a pretty good portion here, and as he as Steamboat gets thrown to the outside there, then now Jimmy's really, really taunting him heavily, and we get Ricky Dragons up on him. <laughs> and uh, the crowd goes crazy for Ricky dragoning up here. Um, 
And when he comes in with some punches, some chops, a couple of the, the double chops uh, that that Ricky was prone to do, the crowd is just going crazy. Um, he gets – he. I thought it was going to be over here for a minute. He goes up top and he hits a really good-looking high cross. And I was like, oh, it's over. Steamboat's going to win. But, uh, you know, he, it, that was a – he got – Hammer got his foot on the ropes there. Because I think this may have been the same spot I took note where the announcers called out Ricky for not hooking the leg. Uh, it might – actually, that that was a different one because I, I know so too. This is one where he goes uh, – Gorilla notices that he's not going to get it because they're too close to the ropes. Okay, I guess. But he does he does point that out yeah, as well. Both – I guess both times when Ricky hit the cross body and all that, I, I appreciate hearing announcers like Gorilla who used to be a former pro wrestlers or whatever else or Bobby Heenan or whatever else points out stuff like that to fans who – don't I guess don't know as much about professional wrestling or whatever to kind of point out those little details on okay this is why that pin attempt didn't work. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. Yep. Like we mentioned before, it's nice when they do that those yeah. kind of small things. Yeah. Yep. We. Yeah. I was just gonna say yeah. We enjoy those small small things that announcers do. Yep, so coming out of that, Valentine hit a really good-looking high back suplex, but he's, I, I think, greatly just kind of selling the exhaustion. He's falling down. Uh, Hammer goes, he starts to put in the, the figure four, but uh, Ricky pushes him off. He, he hits him. Uh, he's outside for, like, two seconds <laughs> regrouping with Jimmy Hart, and... The- the bell rings because yeah. yeah. it may be confused because yeah, like you said, Ricky had control <laughs> with elbow smashes, chops, and kicks that suddenly got Greg out. Yeah, just it's like yeah, Valentine was out for moments. not long, and the bell rings. Like even the announcers were confused about that. I'm like like what, what the hell was it? A time limit? Was it a t- you know like what was going on? So right. I guess we got a count out. Yep, that's what. Uh, what's his name? The Fink says uh, count out. Yeah, so Ricky the Ricky the Dragon is the winner via count out, and so the still Intercontinental Champion is the Hammer. Yes, I read this match with Beverly Hills three stars because I enjoyed this match. The match for me, the fans made it a lot better, and I feel like Ricky the Dragon and Greg the Hammer in 1985 had great chemistry together, and that's why. For those reasons that you just said, that's why I rated it four and a quarter. Uh, I thought this match was tremendous. Um, outside of the kind of screwy finish, I thought this was awesome. Just from beginning to end, everything looked great. The Obviously, the crowd was into it. I I, I loved this match. And if it would have had a, a cleaner finish, uh, I could see almost going five stars on this. Yeah, I love this same, match. Same with me. If it had a cleaner finish, I would have... You know, bumped up my rating too from three stars higher. Uh, I guess to me the announcers also helped helped it out as well, calling out different spots and putting over uh, Jimmy Hart's heelish antics as a manager and all that. Mm-hmm. So the next letter we get, Mr. Beverly Hills, is a letter W, as in Barry Windham. Yep. What is your first thoughts on Barry Windham? 
you know, Barry Windham is kind of an interesting guy. I think, you know, he's he's always been at his best kind of a, a second tier uh, kind of guy. Always good in the ring. Uh, probably should have, I don't know, probably should have gotten a big main event run back in the late 80s, but... Or kind of mid to late 80s, 87 maybe, but um, wasn't meant to be, uh, but solid. Always remember him well. Yeah. A uh, few things I think of when I first think of Barry Windham as NWA World Champion. At least I thought he was NWA World Champion. Yeah, he was. Uh, uh, four, you know, four Horsemen and Rap is Crap. <laughs> yeah. So... The promo that we get is was from September the 3rd, 1988, where Barry was the United States champion, and his promo was based upon Stan. Yeah, a little bit. I guess that's what I got out of it. So. I think that's what the video description said. Yeah. Uh, I, I, let's see. I, I really didn't get much out of this promo, Mr. Beverly. Oh, I, like, I liked it. It was short but sweet. I liked it. So... He addresses very quickly that Sting has been kind of calling out that he's always in the shadow, kind of always the bridesmaid, never the bride type of thing, or that, or more like that he's just riding um, Flair's coattails because this is the time where he's in the Horseman. But I, I like that he addresses that. You know, he he respects Flair, but he's learning from him and he's doing you know things on his own. He's the U.S. champ. And and then he says he's gonna beat Sting because he's more experienced. He's he's like he says I've spent more time warming up than you've had time in the ring, which I think is just a great line. Well, so. just, yeah, because you know, when you're, you're going over what what you just did, I looked over a little bit of notes I had, and you yeah, you refreshed my memory both. That, that that's one thing I appreciate about this promo was Barry mentioned that yeah I got more experience than, than you, Sting. And I'm going to prove it to you when we face off. Yep. Yep. So the match we get was from WCW Thunder. <laughs> Thunder. From July 14th, <laughs> 1999. And it was between the WCW Tate Team Champions, the Jersey Triad. But for this match, it's Diamond Dallas Page and Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Kurt Henning and Barry Windham, the West Texas Rednecks. Yes, yes. And I was excited, you know. I love DDP. I love Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, and I really, really like the Texas Rednecks. Uh, I loved the gimmick. I loved the song. I was excited. Well, and how stupid I am for being excited for a match from July 14, 1999. Don't feel bad when I saw that, you know, click the link that you sent me for this match. You saw that it was these four guys, like, you know, right on. Like, I'm excited. Yeah, this should be good. Then, like you said, like, okay, this is from Thunder. <laughs> this is from 1999. <laughs> I hear, I think I hear Mike today. I think I hear Larry Zabisco. Larry Z, who I didn't even know was still employed by WCW in 1989. But. And, like, okay, for some reason I, want, I thought I heard either Mark Madden mm. or Scott Hudson, but... I know nope. my my ears mistaken me you know mistake me a lot of times like okay uh, this match is might suck and <laughs> well we're gonna get to that yeah so I guess a quick question before we get into the match okay uh, at least for me Kurt Henning was always known f- 
to be from Minnesota. How do you know how storyline wise he was explained that he was a part of the West Texas Rednecks? Just that he hated rap and he joined up with these other guys. Fair enough. That's good enough of a reason. Please, you know plenty enough rednecks from Minnesota. I know plenty of rednecks from Minnesota. I don't think you need to be from Texas to, I guess, to do that kind of thing. I guess I quite wanted to know because in the name there's from supposedly from West Texas, so but whatever. So This is your man Vince Russo's booking right now. Don't don't read too much into it. Bro. Bro. I can't believe you listen to that. Bro. Hey, I, I was bored, I needed some something to listen to, okay? Don't judge. <laughs> So the as the rednecks come out, Hennig's like doing this kind of two-step move, and I freaking love it. It's amazing. But what what is Barry Windham wearing? <laughs> I cannot explain, and I don't even dare to try to explain what he was wearing. Well, he's wearing like a uh, a camouflage bib overalls <laughs> with a Westex Rednecks shirt, which Christmas list, Rap is Crap Tour 1999, but he's he's wearing that, and then he's wearing sneakers? Like, straight up sneakers. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm like, thinking to my head, like, did Barry Windham's gear get lost? Because, like, be surprised. Either, either two options. Either his gear got lost or Barry Wynn was feeling fat. Which is okay, because, I mean, he kind of was. So if he's, like, trying to cover up, whatever, that's fine. But he looked like an idiot in these sneakers, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it right around the time when everybody was making their entrances, I I guess I was wondering what your thoughts. I, well, I guess, yeah, when Bam Bam and Henning started out the match, do you ever feel like there was a time in either one of their careers where they could have been world heavyweight champion in either WWF or WCW? Yes, we've we talked extensively about Bam Bam Bigelow when he should have been champion. Roll back the tapes to March of this year if you want to talk hear about that. Uh, Henning probably in the you know no, you know it's 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 a different time period um, if. His run as Mr. Perfect would have been in the time period of the late 90s and the 2000s into today. Most certainly would have had a title. Um, but as things went in the early 90s, no, because that's not how things were, were done. Enough, you yeah. had long reigns, and that's how it was. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Uh, I guess, you know, we talked about it before that we really appreciated Bam Bam's work and Perfect's work. I guess it was, uh, I guess, like you said before, that I look at wrestling, you know, with uh, modern eyes back to 99 or earlier, and I wonder why these guys weren't world champions, but it totally makes sense. I would, you know, like I said, if they would have came around nowadays, they would have held the world title several dozen times, if not all. Well, several dozen? It. If not. Maybe you th- half a dozen. Whatever. There's only one person who's held the title more than a dozen. You think that they're going to several dozen? Well, there's Jerry Lawler who 21 times. Not in WWF or WCW. Well, whatever. Memphis, maybe. Well, that's not what you asked, though. Whatever. <laughs> no, don't whatever yourself. You asked it. Yeah, I guess that it was just some random number I just pulled out of the air at that moment without thinking, which I do most of the time. But if not, like I said, 
if they their primes would have happened right around, you know, like you said, late '90s into 2015, 2016, I'm sure they would have held the world title three, four, or five times by now. Yeah, I'm sure they would have gotten at least a, a rain or two out of it. Oh, I think of it too about Barry's attire. Was he wearing like farmer's gloves? Yes, yes. <laughs> thank you so much. That even makes it weirder. Ah. Oh. Yes, good call. Yes, he was wearing yellow leather gloves to go with his camouflage overalls and uh, that other his uh, sneakers. Well, because so, yeah, yeah, I get yeah, I noted perfect. The you know, gloves Barry was wearing, like I noticed that started the clip. I was thinking, okay, I wear gloves at work for what I do to help keep my hands clean and dry from the cardboard and all that. I was thinking. <laughs> Okay, what kind of gloves is Barry wearing? Like, only thing I can explain is like farmer gloves with the yeah. like, like you said, the camel overalls that he was wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looks like, well, yeah. Not my dad's like entire wardrobe, but like the gloves and the sneakers pretty much looked like my dad. <laughs> so we find out right away towards the start of the match that this match is will be contested in triangles. No, not no. No, 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 no. No, because we don't learn. That's the whole point of how stupid this match is. Okay. Is that I'm sorry. they're they're wrestling, and we get Hennigan DDP. We get Hennigan Bigelow for a while. We get a little bit of uh, Wyndham, and he hits a good lariat. Um, Wyndham and DDP are you know they're they're kind of trade suplex uh, stances before DDP turns it into a cool armbar. And then about three minutes into the match, now Canyon's in. And I'm thinking, why is Canyon in this match? They do not announce why he's in until they're like, oh, maybe maybe it's a triad rules match. And I'm like, what? No, we haven't heard anything about this. <laughs> and now it's just okay. And now the and it's so stupid. The the announcers just like act like we should just know what this means. That it's normal, and why? Okay, so then the rednecks start playing by these rules too. Why would that be? Why would that be? The whole point of like a Freebirds rule match is that the Freebirds, and by the way, it's not during the match. It's like from match to match. Oh. It's not you. You don't get to rotate people through. This is so freaking bad. <laughs> well, because, yeah, when that started to happen, too, too, when I was watching this clip, I was thinking, okay, like you said, they didn't announce this prior. Obviously, you know, we were jumping into 1999 WCW, one match from Thunder, and we have no contacts with anything, but this this time from Vince Russo is what people like to shat on because... Stuff like this makes absolutely no sense. So bad. And I'll admit it now, this whole triad redneck rules without being explained stuff hurt the match a lot for me. I can tell with how, looking through the video scope, I can see by your body language that that hurt your viewing of this match too. It was terrible. It was just so bad. It was, it was terrible. This is an awful match. And, and it's nothing... It's nothing for what was going on in the ring, and that's what's that's what's sad, is that um, DDP looked really good, Hennig looked really good in the match, but 
all this overbooked trash around it. Um, was, it yeah. was awful. Just awful. Because like we both said that when I first seen, you know, when I opened up this clip, you know, these four guys, DDP, Bigelow, Henning, and Wyndham were the four guys for this match. I was thinking right on. I know it's towards the tail end of their career, but they can still put on good matches with people who they like to work with. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this could be a great, I don't know, five, ten minute match. And yep. we only got maybe two minutes of that. Yeah. So one funny part, though, was like, so the main four people had fought to the outside and Canyon is just standing in the middle of the ring. <laughs> and Bobby Duncombe Jr., who's a member of the Rednecks, is just standing on the apron looking at him. And we get this for probably a minute where there's fighting around the outside. Canyon is standing there like looking at Bobby Duncombe like, please come in and fight me. And Duncombe's just standing there in the apron. That, and that's why Bobby Duncombe sucks. That, that R.I.P., but he sucks. But, yeah, that made me laugh too just seeing him just stand, stand, standing there and all that like, ooh, what, what am I supposed to do? So then he just, instead of getting in, though, he just dropped to the floor. And Canyon <laughs> proceeded to still stand in the ring. Oh, Canyon. So, <laughs> so Canyon uh, missed a moonsault. Uh, Hedig got two good-looking atomic drops. Everybody's in. Uh, and now it's a DQ. Which? Who cares? Who knows? Who knows who cares? This yeah, which made dark. absolutely no so sense. Bad. Then, yeah, they just battled up, up the aisle way to Nitro going off the air. Thunder. Whatever. So bad. Because of that, I already this match a dud. I did too. This match was terrible. Sucked. Just terrible. So the next letter we get is the letter X as in X-Pac. What is your first thoughts on X-Pac? You know, X-Pac is another really, I think, solid guy. Um, A lot of good... Good matches early in his career, um, both before WWF and then in his time in WWF. Um, I think really kind of a key, kind of underrated cog in the Attitude Era. He was always someone who who had a lot of good matches, who could fit into the mid card of those of those pay per views and stuff, the undercard of those pay per views, and uh, that's needed. That's you know you can't just have a main event. You need uh, to fill a card. They're three hours. You need to have that, and he always provided solid matches. I think. Yeah, for me, the, I guess the first thoughts I ha- have of him is, you know, him being a of you know, one two three kid prior in his famous feud with Razor Ramon, being yep, part of the NWO. And I'll see uh, being part of DX and doing the jumping crotch chops for their entrance. Right on. And that's what I noticed it, as we get into this promo. X-Pog was always a very aggressive crotch chopper. <laughs> like, to the kind of nth degree, extremely aggressive in his crotch chopping. Abilities. So, as you kind of, well, yeah, you talked about the promo. This promo was from the night after WrestleMania 14, March 30th, 1988. Yes. And the clip opens up with Triple H in the ring saying that things are about to change in the WWF and DX because Michael has dropped the ball and he picked Tyson to be the part of DX and Michael's lost the title the night before. Right on. Yeah, I fast forwarded through all the Triple H part. Fair enough. <laughs> Which, I don't blame you. Then Triple H said that, you know, the decisions need to be made. He's the new leader of DX. 
Lottie freaking dog is looking to the <laughs> to his friends, looking to blood, looking to family. He's looking to the kid to join <laughs> the ex. Yeah, and yep. I, like you said, Xbox crotch chops scare me with how violently he thrust his pelvis. <laughs> oh my gosh, he chopped so hard and so fast, like pa 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 pa. <laughs> like, holy crap <laughs> so I f- feel like this is one of more the more famous interviews of X-Pac yeah, you know, and all that that you know he brush got a mic to vent about WCW for a few minutes and he did first of all Hulk Hogan you suck pal <laughs> <laughs> do you catch the you line said- I can't cut the mustard. You got no room but cutting mustard. <laughs> and if you stop quick, you better not. Because Eric Bischoff's going to be so far up your ass, he'll know what you ate for breakfast. That, I was just going to ask you if you wrote the, the, that line because I didn't, but that line made me laugh greatly, too. You know, these were good lines, but, man, he came across so lame with some of his word <laughs> choice. You suck, pal. Or National Hall would be with us. If they were being held hostage by WCW, now put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, he's using all these super lame, like, cliches, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, You know, you suck, pal. And then lastly, of course, we're here to rip ass on the WWF. And it starts tonight. (laughs) What do you said that they're going to rip a butthole in the WWF? Like... X fuck, that's kind of an awkward word choice for you, buddy. <laughs> We're gonna fart all over the WWF, and it begins tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, X <X-Pac>. <laughs> I felt like that was good passion in X Pac's debut and all that. It was all right, but yeah, I felt like overplayed. Oh, sure. Despite his late, like, kind of lame lines, uh, good overall, and. It was it, it was definitely like they just kind of turned him loose and and just kind of you know let him let him say what he wanted, which is cool. Do you really think Hall and Nash were being held hostage in WCW? God no, no, <laughs> not a chance. Yes, they were being held hostage with their multi-million dollar contracts and their creative control and their limited dates. Oh, God, it must have sucked. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about that when during the promo. When I was watching the promo, I was thinking, okay, right around this time is when Nash started to become, become a big lazy and Hall was starting to have his alcohol problems and all that. I was thinking... I'm sure they wouldn't want to leave their guaranteed contracts and limited dates, like you said, to jump over to the WWF where they had to work more for less money. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they were. I don't think they were upset at all. <laughs> yeah. So the match we get for X Pac is his SummerSlam 2000 match against Road Dog. Yeah. And just from the clip that we get, uh, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler are our announcers, and they were. Kind of same with the video packages that we got is that those two had a little bit of a dispute over you know, a couple of weeks prior to SummerSlam, and they just decided here at SummerSlam to see who the better wrestler is, but the better man yeah, is. So they, yeah, so they were tag team um, 
they were a tag team, tag team partners, whatever you'd want to call it. And they, yeah, the month prior had just been kind of like a friendly rivalry, quote unquote. And uh, yeah, it was culminating in this. And then, yeah, they had a couple of misunderstandings in the two, in the last week, the week prior, yeah. both involving the undertaker. Weirdly. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was, it was running up to this match here in 2000. And what's your thoughts on the, Tights that or the yeah, tights X Pac had with the 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 green bright neon arrows pointed up his thighs. I guess I didn't notice that there were arrows, but I always remember X Pac's gear as interesting. I I noticed actually Road Dog's gear, and I said I said 2000 fashion was not good with. <laughs> You know, football jerseys and bucket hats. Man, bucket hats are a bad luck. Whoever yeah. thinks that's a good thing to go with. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I'm happy you took note of Road Dogs attire because I didn't. So oh, it's terrible. It's and of course also 2001. Number is it? <laughs> 69. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that was huge back in 2000. Like, yeah, uh, just awful. It's like you know we look back at like the 80s and early 90s like right now with like wow we're gonna in a few years we're gonna start looking back on the 2000s and realize that there's a lot yeah. of crap going on at that point too. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I guess also what the announcer said too that that X Pac and Road Dog won the name of name for of DX at fully loaded. So were they facing off against? I have no clue. Was it? Was it? Gosh, I, I can't think it's Triple H at this point. He's ahead of the, He's ahead of that. I assume Billy Road Dog in China. I, or uh, Billy Gunn in China. I don't know. I'd almost have to look. I'll look it up. Fully loaded two thousand. Because. I was yeah, I remember at, at WrestleMania 16 that Road Dog and X Pac had a tag team match there. I think against Kane and Rikishi, and yeah, they were oh, DX. Really? yeah, they, they were known as DX back then too. Fully so, loaded. I don't know. Do you know that Fully Loaded was a was a professional wrestling pay per view? It was no way. <laughs> wow, it's that's that's always what WWE says. Or Wikipedia says. <laughs> oh, Wikipedia. What two thousand fully loaded two thousand? You said fully loaded two thousand. All right, I'll read it here. Because I I really can't think of uh, there was. They didn't even wrestle at fully loaded two thousand. They didn't. <laughs> no. Well, that's what the announcers claimed. Well, because wasn't that fully loaded where it was Triple H and Jericho in the last man standing match yep, and Benoit you got and it. Rock for the title? Yes. Rock okay. defeated Chris Benoit with Shane McMahon for the WWF Championship. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> I'm going through my drawer of my desk. Oh, no. Right now, there's a chance I might... Darn, I don't think I have that videotape in my drawer. In my drawer. I have a... Slambery 2000 on VHS. Amazing. We we watched that one. (laughs) I I have Sold Out 2000 on VHS. We watched that. Both I bought at the St. Cloud Goodwill for a dollar a piece, plus tax. (laughs) Uh, What else do I have here? Oh, God. (laughs) 
1999 Uncensored. We, oh, will, we watched yeah. that with the Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, First Blood and Steel Cage match. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway. Off track. We're getting off track because you're let's, in the drawer right let's, now. So, let's get back to the match. Yep. So I noticed, like, you know, this is supposed to be a face-face match. I'm fairly certain, right? When did you get that vibe? Or heel-heel. Uh, yeah, I think face-face. Yeah. So... But I wonder if this is, like, around the time of the genesis of X-Pac Heat, where yeah. people just hate him because he's him. Because, like, Road Dog will do something and he'll, you know, put his hands up or something in the crowd. Ah! And then X-Pac does say he puts his hand up. <laughs> and just, it. like, they're just going back, back and forth and X-Pac sucks. Xbox sucks, and it's like I think this is where just people just didn't like him. Uh, wow. His shtick had grown old; he hadn't really changed <coughs> in the past two years. It was the same act he had been putting on, and uh, <coughs> they just were not buying anything he was selling. Yeah, he needed to change with the times. <laughs> yeah, right on. So, yeah, so it, not a lot going on in this match. You know, there, we got a mix, Miss Bronco Buster from uh, X-Pac. From yeah. X-Pac. And I guess I want to interrupt you You there. Have we ever talked about the Bronco Buster here in the podcast yet? I don't, I don't know. Okay. Uh, the reason why I want to ask you about that, because I guess watching this clip, it finally dawned on me how weird it is to see another man... <laughs> Grinding his crotch on another man's face. You know, DX in general, looking at it with fresh eyes, why did we think they were cool? Like, why was this, like, awesome, right? Like, X-Pac is jamming his junk into people's faces. Road Dog is getting behind other guys and, like, pounding pounding their boots. You know, that's what, like, if that's what he's doing, that's fine. But he's presented as, like, a straight dude or whatever. And, like, people are all like, oh, yeah, you're so cool, doghouse, doghouse. What? No, this is weird. This is not something that, like, 14-year-old Beverly should have been thinking was cool. Well, so come on, WWF. Well, yeah, just uh, thinking you know, at that time I'll be a twelve-year-old dog, and <laughs> I remember how cool I thought you know '69 was back in 2000. <laughs> yeah, how right. you know Jeff Jarrett calling people slap nuts was oh. super awesome too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's like they're just swearing for swearing's sake, or like talking about butts and stuff. They're like twelve. And they, what, that's why we thought it was cool because it was <laughs> like twelve-year-old humor. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, now when we were talking about this over the last few minutes, uh, I remember how much in 2000 Mama D got after me for making slap nuts and 69 jokes. And I can't remember, I think I had like an uh, email address back at that time, something like that uh, dealt with like slap nuts 69 2000 or something like that back then. And Mama D hated the fact I had that as my email address. I can't believe you're Slapped at 69. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to get a hold of Dirty Dog Darcy, <laughs> please email slapnut69 at hotmail.com. 
<laughs> I think that probably was my email probably, address. Probably uh, was. Listeners, I don't have that email address anymore. At least <laughs> as of the last like fourteen years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Jr. again was trying to say that like the crowd was mixed, but they weren't. They hated X Pac like with all their heart. Um. So Road Dog did kind of his flip flop and fly thing with the the punches. Um, but he missed the the pump handle slam, and it kind of led to the finish. And you can take the finish if you want. Yeah, the yeah dog finished the pump handle slam. X Pac countered it with a low blow, hitting the X Factor and scoring the pinfall. Then after that, X Pac grabbed the microphone and said that the X Pac and Road Dog found out who the better man is, which was obviously X Pac. And X Pac wanted to team up and still be friends with. Yeah, him. We can go back to being. T- I thought that was an interesting. And now we can go back to being teammates. <laughs> then Doc kicked him in the gut, act like he was uh, doing him doggy style again, then hit the pump yep. slam. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. X Pac is the winner, and I'm happy. I rated this match two stars because I felt like it was short and it was what it needed to be. I also rated it two stars for many of the reasons you you were saying. I thought like this is one of those things where when we take it out of context, it's a lot poorer. Uh, in the middle of SummerSlam 2000, this probably would have fit a lot better. Yeah, you know, it's it was an eight minute match. It would have been in the middle of the card. Whatever. When you watch it by itself, self contained, it doesn't hold up. It's uh, not very good it's not very consequential it's you know it is what it is but it's one of those things where it probably fit onto the card a lot better yeah and if we would ever if we ever do the road or summer some 2000 series yeah. i'm sure it would probably make a lot more sense sure well it probably just would have it's just one of those things where you throw it away it's yeah. very disposable um and you it's a lot easier to just go on to the next match whatever that was on SummerSlam 2000 you know so yeah which is kind of like what we're doing here in the series right on the next letter for the podcast is the letter Y man Y was so hard to find something it was so hard that's why I ended up with this terrible Y Y as in the as in the yellow dog <laughs> oh man rough who in the hell is this guy. Well, it's different people. Yeah. Funny thing is, after we watched this and after I typed in that question, I listened to the Jim Cornette experience and he hated Oh, God. And somebody emailed in a question to his other podcast where he asked, answers viewer mail, and somebody asked him about the yellow dog. And he was kind of teasing this match that it, one of the guys who played it was Brian Pillman. Yes, but the first, the promo yellow dog is Barry Window. Enough. Funny enough, funny enough that we've had him. Yeah, Yellow Dog was a Dusty Rhodes concoction, uh, and he started it and uh, in Florida, whichever year this would be, early '80s, at some point, and then in '91 when he came back after his run in <coughs> WWF to WCW, he brought the Yellow Dog with him. So. <laughs> Okay, well, we might as well talk about the promo. Uh, I don't think, feel like there's really much. I'm sorry, man. I put in Yellow Dog promo. This will come up. We got like three seconds of Yellow Dog promo. All we got was him saying that he's ready for Outlaw Ron Bass. He's ready for this tape fist match, tape fist match that's coming up. And then it cut off. Because <laughs> well, it was like a three-part 
promo or whatever. First yeah. it was Ric Flair. Yep. Then he was Mike Rotunda. Then yeah. he was Yellow Dog. I was like, finally we're to the Yellow Dog, and it was like two seconds. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> so the match we get is Ric Flair and the Diamond Stud, who would later become who was Scott Hall, take on yes. the Yellow Dog and Bobby Eaton from WCW yeah, July 1991. Yes. I do love 629, actually. 62991. Okay. Uh, yeah. Jim, Jim Ross like, throws it out. He's like, it's June 29, 1991. Like, in the middle. <laughs> so random. <laughs> so um, I do love that Yellow Dog is from the Kennel Club. <laughs> oh, great. Great. Talk about that. On the way to work every single day, where Sexy Pat and I take to go to work, we drive. By I assume a disc golf seller place, okay. and I, each time I see the sign, I think of the podcast. I think of you, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what the title is called, but but it's something along the lines of Dog City Disc Golf. Oh, <laughs> sweet! And Why do you live in the Dog City? Is it named after you? The Dirty be, Dog be, City? Because dog, as in that sign, is spelled D-A-W-G. Dude, that's awesome. I didn't know you had a sideline business in <laughs> disc golf. I got to make my money somehow, Gorilla. Dog City Disc Golf. <laughs> Sweet, man. Yeah, there it is. So, Looking what? at it, it opened up in June. New St. Cloud Disc Golf Shop owner introduces Dog City. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be right around a year after we started this podcast, so it makes yep. sense. <laughs> All right, cool. So, well, Rick Flair was WCW World Champion at this time, right? Yes. Okay. And he was wearing, wearing his yellow gold-esque robe. Yep. I wasn't really too fond of, of, this, of this robe. Okay. This wasn't my favorite, I guess. All right. Cool. Then you, do you want to talk about what Yellow Dog was wearing? He was he was a yellow dog. He was wearing a mask that was kind of styled in the in a, a face of a dog, uh, and he had a yellow like bodysuit on that was like long sleeved on the top, long pants on the bottom. So, yes, yeah, yellow, yellow, yellow. Very stylish. <laughs> then what's your thoughts on the Diamond Stud character? Do you know much about Scott Hall playing the Diamond Stud? Uh, he was he was just kind of like brought in by DDP, you know, as part of the Diamond Exchange or whatever. And one of the things I just wanted to ask, like you, is just how how did WCW miss the boat so bad on Scott Hall? Well, I was going to ask you, do you think Scott Hall could have went anywhere in WCW as a Diamond Stud? But just, I guess what I've seen in this match, this, you know, Scott Hall wasn't connected. I don't feel like it was connected with the crowd with this character. Comparing it to about a year later, he'd be jumping to the WWF with his Razor Ramon character, which was a ripoff off of Scarface. And it's like that character connected with the fans up, up north. Yeah, I, I'm just, yeah, I just don't think that they they set him up at all with this, man. Just how'd they miss the vault so bad? He was a charismatic guy. He had a great look. He was freaking enormous in, in 1991. I just don't know. I just don't get it. 
Yeah, well, it's, like you said, that yeah, the charisma he had it. I guess I was kind of getting try to get to that point, but I'm happy you put, help you help put it into words about that. That yeah, he had the he had the charisma and the wrestling ability to be one of the top guys, if not the main event champion and all that. And yeah, like you said, WWE or WCW couldn't get to it, and WWF was able to find that find that gem. Yeah, yeah, the gym. <laughs> so something that I guess kind of helped me figure out who the yellow dog was in this match was when Paul Heyman was saying all match long that Brian Pillman is the yellow dog. Yeah, the man, he was he was leaving you some really vague clues. <laughs> <laughs> or he was just straight up saying it. <laughs> oh, Paul, thank you very much. No, oh, you... Oh, whatever, Gorilla. Gosh. <laughs> and by the well, way... One of the things that helped. <laughs> by the way, that was not me who emailed Jim Cornette the question about the yellow dog. <laughs> Should have been. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, you, it was... Do you take any notes about this match? Yeah, for sure, dude. So, um, I did think it was funny... JR said that Flair is, uh, he's preparing for Luger on July 14th. And I said, yeah, not so much. <laughs> Do you get why? Because he, Flair left shortly after yes, that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's well, the I, We Want Flair Great I, American Bash. I guess I didn't put that two and two together when I was watching this clip that this would be one of Flair's last WCW appearances until after his WWF run. Yes, this would have been one of his last matches. I don't know what his I don't know what exactly his last match would have been, but this would have been one of his last. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I find it funny that he would team up with Scott Hall in the WWF. I think on a Saturday night's well, event yeah. before Flair left again. Yeah, and they they were uh, um, on Survivor Series. Yeah, ninety two. Survivor think? Series yeah. team. Yep, in ninety two. Right. That's funny. Exactly. So yeah, about a year, year and a half later. Interesting. That's funny. So yeah, Dog was hitting some good kind of flying moves. You know, flying clothesline, which looked cool. When Bo- Bobby and Flair went to the outside and they kind of beat on beat each other really well. Bobby rammed him with a non-folding chair. <laughs> your favorite. Yes. Uh, he then Flair got him against the. Uh, rail and chopped him a few times uh we got a couple good flare flops a really good one as he's like walking right toward the camera and then he like flops right in front of the camera love it love it um yeah so after that I mean, things kind of broke down for for most of the match this was a pretty crazy match yeah. a pretty wild brawl through the through the whole thing um so the whole point this is a bounty match right so if you can get the the mask off you get money question mark and right, <laughs> right around this time I, I want to jump in did you notice the tights of the diamond stud yeah mustard yellow tights with a purple <laughs> diamond over his junk right and then on the back it just said stud in glitter I felt like that was one of the one of the ugliest tights ever worn <laughs> They were bad. They were that bad. Come on. I guess I'm so used to seeing his razor Ramon tights and his Which were also mustard yellow. They didn't look that as ugly as his diamond stud tights. Fair enough, I'll agree with you. At least he didn't have a purple 
Range Rover's Sorry. junk. They did, though! <laughs> they did! You just described them! Because they were purple, and they were! I just didn't have Razor glittered on his butt. Not glitter, but it was written. <laughs> oh my god, that was too good! That was too rich! You literally just described it! You're welcome. <laughs> Man, at least, <laughs> at least his name wasn't Razor Ramon. Oh, t- <laughs> at least, at least he didn't have curly black hair. <laughs> yeah, talk, think of it. You just made me uh, remember something funny that back in oh yeah, like, was it ninety five, ninety six? That that I would have buddies over to play the Super Nintendo with me, and we'd play WWF Royal Rumble and WWF Raw on it. And Razor was one of the characters and. Some of my friends who at that time weren't wrestling fans saw, you know, Razor's character and they're like, Razor Ramon? <laughs> or Razor Ramon? Like, who is that? I can't think of, I think, oh gosh, I wish I could think of some good, like, mispronunciation things, but oh. I can't right now. how oh, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase was on the Royal Rumble game and when they saw his name, they're like, Ted DiBiase? <laughs> Actually... Remind me of that after we're off air. Okay. Te- remind me of Ted DiBiase. Okay, I am <laughs> writing, that, writing that now. Anyway, let's get back to the match. All right, cool. So, yeah, so it's breaking down. It's pretty crazy. Um, Flair and Stud are trying to rip dogs' mask off. Uh, but as they are, Bobby comes in, stops them, hits a drop kick, uh, throws them out. And it looks like, I, I wrote, it appears like it's going to be a no contest. It's kind of working towards that. And yes, it is. Yeah. No contest. So, yeah, the winners are no contest. And ready this match. I, th- is- I think they ruled it a double DQ against yeah. the, or, oh no, sorry. Just a, a DQ, DQ against, against uh, the yeah. heels. So yeah, the winners are Yellow Dog and Bobby Eaton. I read this match a dud because this match did absolutely nothing for me. And with all the brawling and all that, I had a tough time. Keeping control of what's going on with the match. You know, I would agree with you, and I initially, I'll stick with my rating. I wrote down two and three quarters after I, after I uh, watched it. Um, but I would, it was hard. It was hard to follow. It, it really was. There was just a lot going on, and you know, I I get after you a lot for like things that are distracting you. But there was a lot of just like noise. I don't know if like the guys were being really loud or like. The fan, the fans were obviously super into it, but there was some really kind of distracting noise that was uh, making it hard for me to to kind of get in to the match. Yeah, because like I said, just an all out brawl. I had a tough time kind of paying attention to it and all that. So yeah. So this, I guess, is it, Mister Beverly Hills. This yep. is the main event of the series. <laughs> <laughs> This is the main event of this podcast. Oh, my Lord, yes. The last letter of the alphabet and the last letter for the series. Uh, We've been working up. We've been working five weeks to get to the number one wrestler. Z-Man Tom Zank. Yes, the letter Z, Tom Zank. What what are your first thoughts on the Z-Man? God. Z-Man is literally like create a wrestler come to life. He is the, the blandest, most just 
innocuous nothing of all time. Yes. You know, he, he has, he has, I, I hate to say, or I, I, I hesitate to say that he has a good luck. He has what a person in a boardroom would say as a good luck. Yeah. He's a white guy. He's fairly good looking. He has a nice body. He's got long hair. But there's nothing distinguishable about him. And that's why I say he's like a creator wrestler. There's nothing about him that separates him from the mass of guys who go to the gym every day. Yeah, because I, I know of I know of Tom Zank. I know the Z Man, but I haven't watched enough, know enough to have really any thoughts on him. Right. See, I was super into WCW when he was in WCW in the early in ninety ninety one ninety two, and so I, I saw a lot of Z Man because he was on Worldwide a lot. And uh, he's just there, just really just there. And in this match, he's just there. And well, before we talk about the match, let's yeah. talk about the promo, which wasn't a Tom Zink promo. It was a promo on Tom Zink. <laughs> yep. It was Harley Race and the Super Invader promo on Tom Zink on June 13th, 1992 edition of World Championship Wrestling. <laughs> And there's really nothing to it. I thought I thought Harley Race looked like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yeah, well, especially that that day of Harley Race with his hair starting yeah, to go gray and curly. And... <laughs> oh man! And Which was... is uh, Super Invader's mask? <laughs> I guess we all choked up. Uh, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> It was super weird. It didn't have eye holes or mouth holes. Those kind of masks creep me out. I don't like it when they don't have holes in them, when they're just like yeah. socks. Well, talking about that that mask, uh, Halloween was what, about a month month ago, and Mama D and I walked downtown to mm-hmm. give us something to do on mm-hmm. Halloween night since it was on a Saturday true, night. True. Uh, and we walked... <laughs> We walked by Herd Burgers, which you, you should know where that is, right? Kind of by Mexican Village. Yep, yep, yep. And you know, we were walking around, then somebody ran past us in a full body white <laughs> spandex tights, kind of like what the Space Invader was wearing, but all, all white or whatever, and wearing like gray basketball shorts. And when they, when they, when that guy ran by us, he kind of slowed down a little bit. Or turned his head and kind of looked at Mama D and I and oh. continued to run by us. And I'm like, holy balls, is this guy going to try and mug us? That's frightening. And it's so frightening. And I'm like, okay, I'm happy he continued to run off. And like, I had no way to describe this guy if he was trying to do something to us. So I'm like, uh, mother, let's turn back and go back home like right now. <laughs> So, but, oh, but yeah, this interview segment was from a WCW magazine thing with Eric Bischoff, like a control center segment. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. He kicked it to him. I didn't, I don't even know what he talked about. Yes. Yeah, I was here. looking at Colonel Harley race and the <laughs> super Vader. So the match we get is Kurt Henning, Tom Zank. And 
Bakuzumahoff. Zumahoff <laughs> versus Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, Gordy, and Buddy Roberts from AWA Championship Wrestling from July eighth, nineteen eighty five, yes. from the Royal Swan Ballroom in Tropicana <laughs> Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Yes. Uh huh. And what's your thoughts on Michael Hayes' Confederate flag robe? Oh, that's a classic. Uh, probably, uh, you know, it's not my favorite thing. It's a pretty, I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Um, but, you know, whatever. People probably dug on it. Yeah, what's, because how long was the Freebirds up in AWA? Do you know offhand? Oh, man, I don't know an exact number, but they were kind of in and out. Okay. Then uh, I kind of foreshadowed this before we went on air, but I had a tough time watching this match because of Buck Zumhoff. Okay, tell me about it. I before, before I read any of the comments, I put in my notes, isn't this the same Buck Zumhoff that got himself in trouble within the last few years being sent to jail for doing something legal with his daughter or something like yeah. that? And I read... I went down, scrolled down the comments, which I normally don't do. And it was that Buck Zumhoff, that yeah. rock and roll Zumhoff, as he was being called in the during the <laughs> match. And I had, I had absolutely troubles, even more so than normal, watching this match, getting into this match, knowing that. Yes, it's as I as I wrote, human garbage, Buck Zumhoff. Yes. <laughs> And yeah, I, I, I have already written down. I guess it's a split. I wrote for main eventer and jobber. I wrote jobber in life, Buck Zumhoff. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing why you, why you, you know, more on that. But yeah, and I really like how the Freebirds are all wearing red trunks for this match. I, I yeah, appreciate yeah. that they're all wearing matching trunks. <laughs> and do you know why? Zumhoff was carrying a boombox for his character. Oh my god! So like, is his character is so confusing, right? Rock and roll, all right. So he yeah. carries the boombox, which in 1985 was definitely more hip hop than rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and then he wears an Elvis jumpsuit. So like, neither of these. Th- and then when he wrestles, he wrestles in plain blue trunks. None of these things equal rock and roll to me. It'd so be, I don't know. It'd be something like if I would become a pro wrestler, I would grab a couple random things that I like and try to mash it together. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It would, it would be like if you're like sports star Darcy and you come to the ring holding like a football and a baseball bat. <laughs> well, I thought that's the same sport, isn't it? Exactly. Right? <laughs> or you would just be called like Sports Darcy. That would be like rock and roll zoom up. You'd just be, oh, here comes Sports Darcy. And by the way, Bill from Hawaii, not so much. Human trash. Yeah. Just the worst of the freaking worst. Yeah. So we might as well talk a little bit about this match if possible. Okay. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a ton. It was actually, you know what? Let's be honest. I spent a lot of this match looking up for who the announcer was. Who, were you able to figure out who it was with Vern Gagne? Yes, because I heard Vern Gagne once say Doug. So I'm like, well, I'm doing my research, doing my <laughs> research. His name is Doug McLeod. 
and I thought he was really good in this. Turns out he spent he has spent now the last thirty years uh, mostly in hockey. He um, did some Quebec Nordique stuff, and then for the Avalanche, um, he did. He was the voice of the Coyotes when they moved from Winnipeg to uh, Arizona for Phoenix, and now he's the voice of the Minnesota Gophers. Hmm, interesting, or one of the voices. So yeah, and, so that's. Uh, yeah, and something I, I wrote down. Good, I yeah, thought he was good. Something I know, noted that I don't know why I noted this, but a falling headbutt was called a flying headbutt for this. Yeah, right. They call it a flying headbutt. Yes, yes, yes. Then like, oh yeah, that's right. That's most of pro wrestling calling moves wrong. So whatever. Oh, and actually, that was part of one of my favorite lines because he goes, "A flying headbutt right to the belly." <laughs> <laughs> but my most favorite line happened when the Freebirds tried to do like a triple suplex type thing and Doug McCall goes, the Freebirds try to get cute with it and now they're pretty embarrassed. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> I love, now they're pretty embarrassed. Uh, you mentioned Doug uh, McCloud. He mentioned that AWA is proud to be uh, bring action to ESPN. Yep, yep. I, don't, I really don't know much about their TV, AWA's TV deal with ESPN. Do you know nope. anything, anything about it? Not really. Okay. Then do you do you know if uh, they must? But does ESPN own the AWA footage that was aired on ESPN? Uh, I think so. Okay, I kind of assume so, but just wanted to ask since I that's why they can still play it on uh, ESPN Classic. Yeah, that's why I kind of kind of assumed. But I wanted to ask you since you're more of a history buff on that stuff than than I am. <laughs> yeah. So I I felt like crowd was pretty hot for this match at times. Um yeah, for the most part. Yeah, give or take. Probably for the most part I'd say yes. But um, I really didn't care about this match, like I said, because of Zoom off. <laughs> Whatever. I I thought it was alright. It it is what it is. The the Freebirds look pretty good. Uh, I'm ready for the finish if you are. Do it. Okay. The finish came when Zumhoff and Hayes were the league of guys, and the other four guys came in and had a six-man brawl, and somehow, some way, Terry Gordy became the legal guy during the yeah. mass confusion and did a highlight for the series, hit the stupid <laughs> fart knock, Zumhoff, with, fart a, knock! with a nearly pile driver and pinned him for the moral victory. Fart Knock. So the winners are the fabulous Freebirds for taking out Brock and Earl Zumhoff, and they should have paralyzed him when they had a chance. Oh, shit! <laughs> paralyzed him! I read this match one half a star only for that kneeling pile driver. Whoa! 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 And- star and a half. I know I'm a little mean, but no, it's not. It whatever. just you just went there, man. You just went there. <laughs> so we might as well take a quick break for we can catch our breath. I can cool off a little bit. We'll be right <laughs> back here on YouTube A through Z on Many Event Status Radio. Let's do it. Larry, we have to step aside for a commercial break. When we return, more exciting world tag team type hey. action here on Thunder. Somehow make a little noise! 
stage first. I got a little something, something I got to get off my chest right now. Uh-oh. I heard Hulk Hogan come out on television saying I couldn't cut the mustard. Well, Hulk Hogan, you suck, pal. you have any room to talk about anybody cutting any kind of muscle. And Hulk, I got, I got some more advice for you. You better not stop short or Eric Bischoff will go so far up your ass, he'll know what you had for breakfast. Well, he's telling the truth so far. And now on to important matters at hand. I'm sitting at home with my mind on my money, on my money, on my mind. And I get a call from one of my best friends of my entire life, Triple H. And he says, DX needs your help. Well, damn it, Triple H. Anytime you ever need anything from me, pal, you got it. And I got something else to say. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall would be standing right here with us if they weren't being held hostage by World Championship Wrestling. And that's a fact, Eric Bischoff. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Things are getting out of hand here. I, you agree with that too, JR? Where's your DX t-shirt? So the way here. I see it right now, this is a new beginning for D-Generation X, and we're here to rip on the World Wrestling Federation. So they're doing this match, and Dolph grabs a kendo stick, which Lawler had to point out, it's painted to look like a candy corn. I hadn't noticed. So Dolph grabs a kendo stick, and Miz grabs a and they square off with the weapons, and Miz realizes it's too short. He is sad. Maurice is more sad. A common issue with Vinny. So he whips it out. And it grew. The <clears throat> this made him happy. The point Why of, wouldn't it? The point of all this was Miz was trying so hard to make this goofiness entertaining. Just joy over. <laughs> he was disgusted with all these pumpkins kicking him out, kicking him out of the ring. They had a tub full of <laughs> out there for Bobby, <laughs> which is something that everyone knows, but I don't think anyone has ever actually done. And uh, I was thinking about that. We're forty. Yeah, I've never bobbed for. <laughs> anyone under the age of thirty? Do they even know what this bucket full of? <laughs> For. They may not. I don't know. Bobbing f- in 2015. Never in my life have I bobbed. F- I, I've I, heard of it. I've aware, never done it. I'm aware it is something they used to do before, like the light bulb. It's gonna kill <laughs> before, before there the was over. television. For example, <laughs> there was anything else to do apparently. But uh, Dolph takes him out there and he starts dunking him in the the tub full of. F- and Miz is not only waving his arms in and out of the tank to splash f- everywhere, everywhere, but also shaking his head back and forth and blowing bubbles. 
He's <laughs> doing everything he could to make this entertaining. Well, you know, this is a match you can show his kids someday. I guess. <laughs> We're here back. I'm the Dog Stimus here with Dusty Hills. And today, we aren't talking about my trucks, trucks, trucks. We aren't talking about Bernie's Pepsi. We aren't talking about time. We aren't talking about podcast, Daddy. We are talking about art. Oh, baby, art. Art can be everything, baby. Yeah, art is like me in the ring. Art is like, I'm buying a van today. You know, I'm buying a van from Mr. Stamis here. I'm going to get a big mural on the side. I'm going to get me riding a unicorn to space, baby. Do the art. Do the Stamis. Good night. Because backstage we were talking, and this thing is ridiculous. Of course, you, did you come up with a, it? Was your high school buddy? Yeah, when I was uh, in college, I actually just started wrestling. I had a roommate, and we would always we were obsessed with Jean Claude Van Damme. Who wasn't? And who who, wasn't? who right? isn't? It's just how geniusly awesome slash bad he was. So any song that came on the radio, I would change the lyrics of the chorus to Van Damme's name. Yeah, yeah, and sure. just whatever was playing at the time, I would just transpose the lyrics. So yeah, I was always listening to a lot of like '80s songs. Who wasn't um, at the time? Exactly. So I mean, would you like to hear one just of give, those? Just give a couple. Well, there just happens we might be a microphone. Here. We always have a mic here ready to go. Yeah, we so it would be. Yeah, well, it'd be like you know, uh, can't touch this. The MC Hammer classic. Yeah. Um, you know, we can lay it down. Maybe, maybe you can give me some quest. Claude Van Damme. Claude Van Damme. Claude Van Damme. Claude Van Damme. They come as running just as fast as they can. Cause every girl's crazy about a Claude Van Damme. Yeah! Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, oh, oh. Claude Van Damme is in town. Oh, oh, oh. Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, oh, oh. Claude Van Damme is in town. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah! I'm talking about my man. Well, I was thinking, one, if you hit the high notes, doing when you were playing, uh, 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 I'm going hungry. Uh, 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 Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. Hungry, sorry. Use the high note. Starts listening to Jimmy Hart. He's in deep trouble. Oh. All right, now you got him. You got him. They say the four horsemen rule wrestling. Well, they do. They rule it the same way Kevin Sullivan does by jumping people from behind. You know, first of all, I did not win this championship by jumping anybody from behind. Now, you know me a little better than that, and I cannot believe that came from your mouth. Now, Steen comes out here talking about. I have always dwelled in someone else's shadow. It's true, my father taught me a lot. It's true, Dusty Rhodes taught me a lot. But I got where I am today on my own. I have come into my own. Let me tell you something, Sting. I've got more time taping up in the dressing room than you have ring time. So let me tell you what. When you get ready for any match with me, you had better make sure you got your boots laced extra tight and you're taped up extra good because I'm going to bring you the match that you never expected of me because you simply don't have the experience to judge anybody. 
What I'm going to do is bring a match to you and prove to you why I am the United States Heavyweight Champion and will be for as long as I care to be. Sting, you tried it with the World Heavyweight Champion. You came up short. The United States Heavyweight Championship is something that you will not take. I am the best at what I do. I am the master ring technician, and when it comes to brawling, I can do it better than anybody else. So you keep that in mind, and you lay in bed at night, stare at the ceiling, and think about that while you're howling at yourself and beating on your chest. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the United States Heavyweight Champion, Barry Wyndham and J.J. Dillon. And uh, that's a... That's an old amateur move right there that I can take you down whenever I want. I can ride you as long as I want, and then I'll let you up if I want. Hola, main event status, people. We're back. Uh, we're back. We're back. We're back. You to should finish have, the YouTube. Uh, for, to finish the YouTube A to Z series, man. You should have paralyzed it when he had the chance. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the let's start with the uh, with the jobbers, man. My jobber is the same. Same guy you uh, teased through the main event of this series, Rock and Roll Buck Zumhoff, for being dropped on his head in the main event of this podcast and being a low-life loser. <laughs> yeah, the lowest of life. Um, my Yeah, so that's the jobber in life. My jobber for the deal is that uh, WCW. WCW 1999. Uh, everybody involved in that triad uh, West Texas Redneck match. Fair enough. I I cannot argue that point with you. Yeah. yeah. So my main event set of star has to be the guy who fought Bruce Lee and his karate stuff. <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine. Because he put on an awesome match with Ricky Steamboat and a match that I never realized Greg the Hammer put on during his prime and a match that I was surprised that I was very well into the match and enjoyed the match. Greg the Hammer. I just love it in Sheik's famous, you break my heart. He was talking about, you take the cocaine, Greg the Hammer, he there. He got the pills. Yeah. Uh, Mine is uh, the man that Greg the Hammer fought. Which would be Steamboat. Oh, I thought it was Bruce Lee. No. Steamboat's my man. He looked just awesome. Just the whole the whole time. I, I loved that match. It was awesome. It was amazing. I was going to pick X-Pac because he came in a close second, but... You suck, pal. I chose not to because he came in second for getting it doggy style from the road dog. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but uh, since... This is a first recording since Nick Bachwinkle passed away. We want to give our condolences to the Bachwinkle family and friends and all that. Sure. Um, I know I really don't have any memories of Nick Bachwinkle because he was before my time. So I assume the same thing with you, Mr. Beverly Hills. And fair enough. And uh, we might as well do the plugs for the podcast. You guys can listen to us uh, three different ways. One at our website, madeeventstatus.com. Again, that's status. Dot com. You guys can listen to us on SoundCloud. Search us out there, Main Event Status Radio, or go to SoundCloud.com slash Main Event Status Radio. That's SoundCloud.com slash Main Event Status Radio. And Mr. Beverly Hills, how is a fabulous third way people can listen to our podcast? Yeah, you can listen to us on iTunes, man, or through the podcast feed, or however, if you're on your phone or a mobile device. But, yeah, just 
rate, rate, comment, subscribe. That's good stuff. You guys can interact with us on the social media accounts. Uh, we're on Facebook. Search us out. Like our fan page, Main Event Status Radio. Search us out there or go to facebook.com slash main event status radio. Again, that's facebook.com slash main event status radio. And both Beverly and I are on the Twitter machine, Mr. Beverly Hills. How can the people interact with you? Yeah, you tweet to me at Beverly Hills MES. And, and I will me, surely get back to you. And for me, it's Dirty Dog MES, and that's dog as in D A W G at Dirty Dog MES. And Mr. Beverly Hills, we are closing the door on this series. Yep. What, what are your overall final thoughts on YouTube A through Z? Um, couple gems. Lots of pieces of crap. One real piece of crap. And that's it. I enjoyed this <laughs> up to the main event. So, whatever. <laughs> well, I guess... It uh, made you not enjoy the whole series? I, I guess... God, I, I should have made a better choice and just omitted that one. I guess if it was going to ruin the whole deal for you. I guess I Jeez. enjoyed... I enjoyed the kneeling pile driver that Tori, Terry Gordy yeah. gave to that rock and roller. So. I ruined the whole thing. <sighs> Whatever, Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> For Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Adios, man, adventures. Don't get cute, because you might get embarrassed. <laughs> you know, you talk about a $5,000 robe. Why is it you stiff me for a $50 breakfast in Los Angeles? They're <laughs> not that funny. Because there's a sucker born every minute, right, Greg? <laughs> I just figured that you had enough class not to say anything and just pick the tab up. After all, you're a first-class announcer. Yeah. Well, just like I'm a first-class wrestler. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Give it up! Hey! 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 Come on! Then the time when I said goodbye And now I'm back and not ashamed to cry Ooh, baby, here I am, signed to deliver Well, I said goodbye And now I'm back And not a shame to cry Ooh, baby Here I am Constantly, I, I, I know what I'd like to do with that megaphone ahead. I'd like to probably stick that uh, uh, yeah, in right. its uh, it is a uh, carrying case. Yes. In the back room. Very good.